Good morning. It's a beautiful Sunday in the old Pueblo, and you're listening to KTDT Tucson. Thank you for spending a part of your brunch hour with us on your downtown Tucson community-sponsored rock and roll radio station. On this week's show, we're going to share five snippets of stories we did in 2021 that really give us a good picture of our show for last year. Hope you enjoy the new format today. It is January 2nd. My name is Tom Heath, and you're listening to Life Along the Streetcar. Each and every Sunday, our focus is on social, cultural, and economic impacts in Tucson's urban core. And we shed light on hidden gems everyone should know about. From A Mountain to U Arizona and all stops in between, you get the inside track right here on 99.1 FM, streaming on downtownradio.org, also available on your iPhone or Android simply by downloading the Downtown Radio Tucson app. Put that in your pocket, and you're going to be there wherever you want us to be. Now, if you want to get us on the show, our email address is contact at lifealongthestreetcar.org. You can also uh, find us on social media, Instagram, Facebook, and our podcast is available just about anywhere podcasts are found. And uh, most of the episodes you can also find on our website, lifealongthestreetcar.org. Well, some disappointing news. Um, On Friday, we found out that the Arizona Bowl was not going to happen. We found that out earlier in the week uh, due to some uh, COVID-related issues with one of the teams that couldn't make it, and the other team that was there uh, opted for um, a different bowl game, uh, not staying here in Tucson. I just want to thank the organizers of the Arizona Bowl. I can only imagine how frustrating it is to know that you were this close and uh, didn't weren't able to uh, accomplish your goals, not just about a football game, but it really is much more about, about the community exploring uh, Tucson for different for different uh, fan bases that aren't normally going to be out here, and of course all the money that they would raise for charity. So just a huge shout out to Kim Adair and her staff over at the uh, the Arizona Bowl, and I am sure as uh, we approach New Year's Eve on 2022, they'll be back at it and uh, put together another opportunity for our community to celebrate Tucson to other parts of the world. But we today are going to share some news uh, from our own show um, in 2021. We had some really good shows. I mean, it's, it's you know, 50, 50 weeks, 52 weeks. Um, I think we had uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of 48 guests and covered quite a few topics. So trying to narrow it down to just a handful was, was pretty challenging. And so we picked a couple for different reasons, and I'll talk about them as we, we intro them. But we started off last year. And we're going to start this year off the same way um, with, with Chuck Huckleberry in the introduction of the Pima County Courthouse. He led us through in that interview. Uh, and again, you can listen to all these on, um, on the website or on the podcast. But he walked us through all the cool things that are happening at the Pima County Historical um, Center now that used to be the, the old courthouse. And for me, it was the excitement in his voice. I, I, I would later... Uh, in the year, had a chance to tour the facility with him, and he truly is uh, excited about sharing that history here with Tucson. So we just have a few minutes of that interview. We're going to share that with you, and I'll be right back. We um, completely renovated the historic courthouse, and um, we, as you know, moved uh, assessor, treasurer, recorder, our justice courts out of that and into a new building on uh, 240 North Stone, which is the public service center of the county. 
uh, and just went about methodically uh, renovating the old courthouse from taking out all of the accumulated wiring and things that had been put in that building over 40 or 50 or 60 or 70 years uh, to going in and reinforcing the old structure, bringing a lot of it up to current codes and uh, doing renovation and, and remodeling. Uh, it will be what I would believe will be the cultural and historic center of the community uh, as it as it opens. It's also the location of the January 8th Memorial, which is um, nearing completion now. Um, housed uh, within the historic courthouse will be the U of A Mineral Museum, which will be, I think, an international attraction. Uh, our um, visitor center, uh, we have a regional, Southern Arizona Regional Visitor Center located on the first floor. Uh, Visit Tucson, which is the component that basically uh, promotes tourism of the region, is located their offices in the building. We have our attractions and tourism department located in the building. And I believe that it will be one of the major attractions uh, in the entire region, which means all of southern Arizona, Arizona and the southwest, simply because uh, the the assets that sit in that building are significant, and um, it uh, will become a major attraction along with the January 8th Memorial, uh, which uh, I believe there will be a renewed efforts in Congress to get it designated uh, as a national memorial. So it says equal one of just a few in the country. And that was Chuck Huckleberry, and I'm sure you've read the news that he was in a um, bicycle accident uh, later in the year. Um, he was hit by a vehicle in downtown, and uh, I know he's still undergoing the recovery process, and we just wish him well. But the Pima County Courthouse, that transition, I uh, hope you have a chance to get down there and visit it, because it truly is a transformative place and shares a lot about our history and our culture. One of our other shows we did uh, was with a gentleman named Terry Etherton. He runs Etherton Galleries and has been doing so for years. He's been... Uh, uh, he'd, he'd been at his current location at the time for about 10 years in downtown Tucson. He was right above the uh, downtown Kitchen and Cocktails, which was formerly uh, the restaurant there with uh, run by uh, Janos Wilder. And we were trying to piece together these different stories. I thought this was, is, was a nice sort of transition. Um, let's talk a little bit about his new gallery and uh, his old space, his new space, and then uh, we'll be back to tie it into uh, the future here in downtown. Yeah, Giannis was here for about 10 years, you know, and I have to say it was one of the best 10 years for us. I could imagine there is just not a better neighbor than, than Giannis Wilder. I mean, we did a lot of collaborations together and, you know, we had all of our uh, pre-opening dinners for artists down there and we hung art down there. We just had a great relationship together. So, you know, it's kind of the end of the era of this building. I mean, you know, they they left and uh, and we're leaving. And so. You know, uh, it, but it's been a good 33 years here. You know, I uh, a lot of things have happened here, hundreds of shows and, you know, just an incredible amount of things that have gone on here. But, you know, it's, ti it's time to move. Well, let's talk about the new location because that, that seems, uh, in talking with you, it seems like it's a, a, a much, uh, it's going to be a fantastic space. You know, for the last four or five years, I've been looking to try to find a place close to where we are now. I don't want to move out of downtown. I I mean, I don't care how great the space is. If it's more than about a half mile from where I'm sitting right now, I'm just not interested. But the problem with finding a space downtown is, A, you can't find a space downtown. And even if you do, the build-out is just crazy expensive on it. 
So we were never able to find the right thing until uh, this space at 340 South Convent became available about a year ago. I found out about it. Um, the space on Convent was built in 1987 by a big, big collector and wonderful human being named Bill Small. He built, the, he built that space to house his collection, to, to house it and put it on display. Uh, so it was set up as a gallery um, to, you know, for his private collection and to have a lot of his collection on display and he would have openings and invite people in. So it's almost a turnkey operation. It's already track lit. Uh, there's, we don't have a whole lot of build out to do in there. And uh, fortunately for us, the Rawlings family have been unbelievably generous and kind with me, uh, allowing us to get into that space without spending a lot of money and, and, and giving us a chance to get established. So they, without their generosity, there's no way I, may, I would be able to make this move. Yeah, so that was Terry Etherton talking about his transition from the space right above uh, what used to be Downtown Kitchen and Cocktails. And, and I like the story because it talks about his relationship with Janos Wilder and how they work together. And, um, you know, he used the phrase, it's an end of an era, because Janos had moved out, and now Etherton Gallery is moving to a different part of downtown. But, uh, you know, later in the year, we did a story with Travis Peters about the coming of the Delta, which should be opening any time now. And uh, Travis also talked about how instrumental Janos was in connecting uh, him to, to the future of the space and kind of walking him through what the, the layout of the restaurant was and some areas that they could work on. Uh, even offering up his other restaurant, the Carriage House, for training purposes. And uh, to me, I just thought that was a, a fitting story to talk about the transition of an era. Maybe not the end of an era, but the transition of one as we move from Etherton Gallery and Downtown Kitchen and Cocktails into the Delta. And, of course, uh, Terry Etherton still has his gallery and kept his promise to keep it in downtown. It's just a few. Our next guest is an incredibly positive person. Uh, her name is Ashley LaRusso and uh, met her years ago when she was working for a theater company and then she was with the Downtown Tucson Partnership and went on her, on her own to start a pro company called Rue Events. And she really focused on um, helping organizations that were doing good things within our community. Well, 2020, with COVID that hit, with the, the social justice issues that were, were ramping up across the country, uh, she took it upon herself to focus her energies on, on something here locally where she could highlight an underserved community. And she started a program called Blacks Friday. And originally it was just started, I think, as a way to share information about uh, black-owned businesses. But it really became much more than that. It was a movement, and to this day, um, it, is, it is a philosophical um, change in, in how we operate and do business. So I want to definitely share that story from, uh, from 2021 with uh, Ashley LaRusso. The initial and the big why was how many how many Black-owned businesses are in Arizona. We know statistically with data that our population as African-Americans, Black-Americans, Black, Americans, black um, is just over 5%. And then looking at the data, knowing that within that 5%, 2% to 2.5% are business owners, it felt like the utmost importance to find out who that 2% is here in Arizona and be able to pull it into an accessible directory. So that was the main vision and goal, was finding out how many, and then once locating them, being able to amplify them so that all community members can locate and be able to shop, support, share, um, and just build a greater community. Over the last 
not quite year, I guess it's been about nine months, Black Friday has really become more of a, of a, of a movement and, <laughs> and it's, it's creating opportunities. It's, it's, it's been able to uh, create empowerment opportunities for these business owners. Uh, so kind of how did it morph? What's, what's been changing? Mm. So with the uh, recognition and awareness came collaboration and partnership. And so now businesses within similar industries are able to partner and start to have their own either events or promoting each other and sharing platform space. And so that also transposed into other local merchants, our partners downtown Tucson and in our partners on 4th Avenue and around Main Gate to also be invested in learning and, and meeting other entrepreneurs and merchants. And so when you say it's been become a movement, that's such a huge compliment because it truly is a testament to our community being able to connect during these times and understand the mission is important and help us amplify that. You know, more recently, you just released something called the Black Paper. Yes, <laughs> thank you. So, so tell us, I mean, what what is that component? And, and, I mean, that that's an evolution in the in the movement. Oh wow! Thank you for bringing up our black paper. Yes, that was just released here on February twenty sixth of twenty twenty one. The the goal with the black paper was really putting down a positive. Uh, a focus and view on initiatives that are being built towards economic empowerment for specifically black business owners and entrepreneurs. Again, when we were doing the research on what was happening to black businesses in March and April, I found it important to also start to connect and align ourselves with other institutions who have been doing this work. And one of those partners is Taniqua Broughton. Taniqua over at the state of Black Arizona has been doing wonderful work in gathering data and the actual tracking of metrics of what is happening not only within business, but also health and education when it comes to the black community here in Arizona. And so we're so excited to A, have them as a contributing author on the black paper to talk about their report that will be released here in the coming month to discuss the numbers that they found as well as discussing with partners such as Community Investment Corporation, Growth Partners Arizona, Hustle Phoenix, Local First Arizona, all institutions that are building programs and initiatives, seeing an issue and wanting to be a part of the solution. This podcast is sponsored by the Mortgage Guidance Group and Nova Home Loans. If you enjoyed this podcast, keep listening or head over to lifealongthestreetcar.org for all of our past episodes, current events, and things to do while visiting Tucson. Tom Heath, NMLS number 182420. Nova, NMLS number 3087. BK number 0902429. Equal housing opportunity. Uh, right before that commercial break, we're hearing from Ashley LaRussa of Black's Friday at Rue Events. And I hope you got the theme uh, of, of that sh that uh, segment. It wasn't just about her and her efforts. It was really about a community coming together, other organizations stepping up. And, you know, of course, that's what we, we love about Tucson. And the next couple we're going to hear from, uh, it's Herman Harris and Radicia Fletcher. 
It's about an innovative approach to sustainability and food security as well as affordable housing, all issues that we have here in Tucson. And they were working on a project that uh, as it's being uh, work, as it's being completed, is really going to be a, a guide and a footprint for how we can address those issues uh, throughout the urban core. My name is Randicia Fletcher, and this is my husband, Herman Harris Jr. And we are the founders of the Urban Forest Project. And this project's goal is to reduce the heat island effect by 20 to 50% in urban areas by providing sustainable low-income housing by building green walls, green spaces, and edible food forests so that our clients that live on the property don't have to spend as much money on um, grocery bills. So everything is sustainable on the property. And then their their light bill and their, all their energy bills are less expensive because of the way that we're building our properties with WaterSense, Energy Star, and so their energy bills are way low. Just that's keeping the cost of living lower. For You're from opposite ends of this country, and yet you come together. Once from California, once from Pennsylvania, and you end up in Tucson, uh, changing the, the way people are going to live in the future. So, how does this happen? Um, well, I can start. I'm, I'm really from a city called Chester, Pennsylvania. It's a very small city, suburb of Philadelphia. Um, I spent the first 19 years of my life there. Uh, after that, I joined the service, the Army. Um, spent almost 10 years um, in the service, uh, four active, six National Guard. Um, did one tour overseas in Iraq and Kuwait. Um, and my National Guard service was out here in Tucson. Me and my daughter came out here, um, and that's kind of where we made our home with my father. He had lived out here. Uh, the story of why we do what we do is, uh, when I was very young, uh, my mother was a victim of domestic violence. Uh, so we had spent some time in the homeless shelter and, and, you know, being, being, moving from place to place and worrying about lights and worrying about food and worrying about safety. Um, both of our stories clashed. And so our hearts, uh, from where, from what we, from what traumatized us as youth were, were very closely linked. And so we decided if this is what we're going to do, we can make a business out of it and, and support our people and, and do something great and ensure that not only us, but our family never experiences what, what we had to go through as children. And I came out of um, Los Angeles and as a young child, I think around five years old, my mom and the dad that I grew up with both were heavily addicted to crack cocaine. And so we ended up downtown Los Angeles on Skid Row um, we experienced bouts of homelessness up until I was a teenager. And then um, we moved into certain areas in um, Los Angeles where it was replete with uh, drug vile, drugs and violence. And, um, and still, we were very much so housing insecure, food insecure, financially insecure. So um, it was just a dangerous space because the ramifications for children who experience such things are 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 grave you know from molestation and um second generational homelessness and just lack of education and that and just mental health issues as a whole and so like i, I still have a brother here on the streets um here in tucson actually because he came out here but his mental health issues are are challenging 
my mom is very much so transitional and she called recently and she's she's on the streets and my brother older brother is transitional as well he's in a hotel so it's just we weren't really able to get it together as a family and there was no time where there was fruits and vegetables and fresh things for us you know we got food boxes we got unhealthy foods and we were able to eat and we were truly grateful um but this it 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 seems ridiculous but it's generational so this is generational poverty and so when i initially started my my doctoral work it was on um if you change people's uh, mindset and their way of life and their surroundings will they be able to change and Sometimes they do and sometimes they don't. I change, but my brothers and my mom, they're still kind of out there still. So it's, it's stressful to know when you get that phone call. Well, I will tell you that Rendicia Fletcher and Herman Harris are doing all that they can to, uh, to help that community and uh, help uh, Tucson in general with, with uh, uh, the, this really interesting approach to um, looking at housing and sustainability and food security all as, as a holistic way and not just um, as individual pieces of it. And our last feature of the day here from 2021 is uh, just a chance to, to brag a little bit because you get Ryan Hood uh, on the air and, and you got to share that. This is uh, uh, Ryan Green and Cameron Hood. They make up the band Ryan Hood. They, they performed all over the world. Um, they're international. They've won numerous awards. They um, wrote the theme song that we use on the show called Dillinger Days, and uh, they released an album in 2021. So we had a chance to sit down with them and and uh, chat with them about the new album. Um, this is this is the voice of Ryan David Green here. This Cameron is the <laughs> voice of Cameron Hood right here. I tend to. Uh, I tend to sing more and uh, write more lyrics, but I also write melodies and I also play guitar. And uh, yeah, it's on the other half of the group, Ryan Hood. And uh, yeah, I'm kind of maybe a little more the lead guitar guy and harmony guy, but but really we're a, we're a, a two singer band and, and travel the country as a duo. Um, have been doing it for almost 20 years now, playing music together. We uh, first met here in Tucson at university high school where we each had separate bands separate rival rock bands that would compete annually in the battle of the bands and we uh put the rivalry aside shortly after graduation and, and admitted to one another we actually uh really admired um each other musically and 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 grew uh, close as friends eventually uh, i went out to college in boston and and cameron stayed at the university of arizona and we kind of had a band through the mail and then when uh, when college ended, uh, I invited Cameron to move out there and join me in Boston, where we became full-time street performers. From there, went to touring colleges, folk festivals, to 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 uh, living rooms, to to even to Australia. Yeah, we started coming back even after like one year of being in Boston. We came back and and did like a Christmas at Club Congress kind of thing and dipped our toes back in and was like, does anyone uh, remember who we are here? You know, because we had only played it a handful of times in Tucson before we we moved. But we started coming back and uh, playing Congress and felt like, wow, we actually have something here. Um, and then moved back probably about a year or a year and a half later, relocated the Ryan Hood home base to Tucson, probably around 2006. Right. Yeah. The, the album is called Under the Leaves. 
And was this uh, recent music recorded during the, the pandemic or these things in the, in the works prior to that? So we had music written from our prior years of touring and we began to tinker with that during the time off. Of the 10 songs on the album, um, eight of them were written prior and two of them uh, were written fully during the, uh, the pandemic to kind of, as, we, as the album took shape and we saw what it was going to be and sound like, we uh, we each, let's give you an insight into the type of people uh, each Cameron and I are, uh, me being sort of more of the, maybe more passionate about the musical side of things and him being a little more passionate about the lyrical side of things and the messaging. Um, as we looked at the collection of songs, I decided I wanted to write an instrumental to uh, that try to complete that sequel to Appy Jam, Appy Returns, and, and really bring this kind of, fiery guitar piece to the album because I felt like it needed some more guitar fireworks on it. And uh, Cameron, as he took a uh, look at the message of the album, decided he wanted to write a song that kind of tied all the themes of the album together and was kind of the thesis statement of the album. He wrote a song called Ruins. And uh, so those were the, 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 the bookends to the album process for us. When the, when the album releases, how do they get a copy of that? Uh, just, uh, just ryanhood.com is the easiest way. So, so, you know, it's, it's, it's ryanhood, like Robin Hood, but ryanhood, one word. And, uh, yeah, it's on there. You can get it on CD. You can get it on vinyl. Uh, and one thing that's really great about this one is we made a book, uh, a large book full of photos and essays and stories behind the songs that's kind of a companion piece. So that's, if you're a streamer and prefer to just stream your music on, on, Spotify or Apple Music, um, that's a really good companion to that. Uh, and you can kind of lounge and read about the album and, and kind of get absorbed in it while you're listening to it. That was Ryan Green, along with Cameron Hood, the uh, duo that make up Ryan Hood. That was five little snippets of 2021. We had, we had uh, 52 shows, 48-some guests, and a tremendous amount of topics that we, we covered I invite you to, to go back and listen to uh, there's so many more. It was just so hard to pick these five, and we thought they, you know they, they share um, some common elements, and um, I don't know, just just fun to, to go back and talk with uh, and look back on some of the success that you've had throughout the year. It's been a, been a very fruitful year for the show. Well, next week we'll be back with a more traditional episode of Life Along the Streetcar, but thank you for your indulgence as we looked back at 2021. And we're going to wrap up today with uh, what I think is probably a pretty darn appropriate song here. It was actually from 2017, uh, and it's What a Year for a New Year by Dan Wilson. And I I can only imagine uh, if this was in 2017, uh, what he's thinking today. Have a great week, and tune in next Sunday for more Life Along the Streetcar. What a year for a new Needed like we needed life, I guess. Last one left us lying in a mess.